As educators, we're always looking for great ways to make education more practical and relevant for kids. On today's episode, we're going to chat with someone who created a hands-on woodshop program to get kids of every age creating. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, welcome back to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods, and I love being able to share the stories, the ideas, the inspiration that we can get from so many people doing some incredible things to help us out as educators. And today, I'm so excited that we get to chat with Mike Schloff. He is the CEO of Maple Woodshop. You can find out more about it at maplewoodshop.com. He is trying to bring more of those, those woodworking skills to our classrooms. And, and as any kind of STEM educator knows, it's easy for us to dive into cardboard and hot glue and pipe cleaners and things like that. But to really make it tangible with some of those, those woodworking skills, I I can't wait to hear some of the great things from Mike today. And so welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. So uh, grateful and excited to be here. Yeah. And again, uh, head to maplewoodshop.com educators. You can find out more about all the great things that they're doing. But you start out, you're a a digital product manager, Mike, and then decided, hey, I'm going to quit that and do stuff with woodshop for kids. I know, right? Who would have ever thought at age 47 to go start a company? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'll back up a couple more hops to yeah. give a little more context. When I was in second grade, yeah. I think I spent half of the year in the hallway. Mm. There's a photo I got in the yearbook, you know, giving a <laughs> thumbs up in the hallway to the photographer. And it reminded <laughs> me, I got kicked out of class a lot because mm. I was, I had ADD. They called it uh, willfulness back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, and you know, the report cards would say he's so bright, but he never applies himself. And it was not helpful whatsoever in terms of development or building self-confidence. However, I was uh, very fortunate with my parents, with my situation, that I could still complete school, go to college. And the the blessing in all of this was that it gave me a lot of curiosity. It gave me the ability to to try new things Mm -hmm. and and have a higher risk tolerance. So in the 90s, my uh, dad gave me a book on the internet. This is 1994, an O'Reilly <laughs> book. Yeah. And there were no ads yet on the internet. It was pre-commercial internet. So fascinating time. Yeah. There were no HTML editors. We used Notepad and figured it out, downloaded manuals from Netscape. Oh, yeah. So whoever remembers <laughs> Netscape will- Oh, yeah. Right here. Hand, hand raised. Yep. All that. And I really loved it because nobody knew what they were doing. I was always very curious and I loved tinkering and trying out new tools. And it turns out the tools I was using were all digital. But the concepts were the same yeah. of, of that design thinking. Let's experiment. Let's iterate. Let's keep building. So I ended up having a pretty good career working at agencies, working at WebMD, working at a large publisher called Wiley, helping them develop new business models, mm-hmm. working with a company they acquired that was an e-learning company. So now you've got this context of this 40-something person yeah. who, for a hobby, does woodworking. Because yeah. he needs that tactile, and it doesn't matter the gender, but this person needed that tactile engagement every day after work to stay sane. I think I think so, a lot of people are like that, Mike. A lot, of, I mean, and I think our kids are like that. They need that 
that that outlet, that's something that just engages their brain in a whole different way. So so that's why you and and by the way, all these words you're using, you know, from iterations and tactile and and things like that. You're you're speaking educator language here, and we're we're just all going like I, I just can't wait to hear what you got to say, Mike. So all right, exactly. next part of next next part of the story. I got to hear this exactly. And so we moved into our house 2004. Couldn't afford a lot of repairs, mm-hmm. and so I. I, with that mindset, right? That growth mindset. Yep. I said, Oh, I'll fix this. I'll fix that. And woodworking. I really, it just spoke to me. Mm-hmm. It was a very meditative experience to hmm. use even a crappy Home Depot Buck Brothers plane yeah. and plain wood. And, and I was hooked. And so fast forward 11 years to 2015, mm-hmm. a friend says, Oh, you like woodworking. I'm going to do a maker fair at the high school. Do you want to uh... run a table? And I said, sure. Why not? And I invented a little project and the kids were lined up for 45 minutes. <laughs> and I thought, huh, that's interesting. And then I thought, you know, there's no woodworking schools within two hours of here. What wow. can I do? And yeah. so I thought, I'm going to open a woodworking school. So I, I did. The next year I launched Maplewood Shop and I started teaching kids, teaching adults. I invented a, a table that telescoped in height from a toddler size to an adult size. Mm. And it had four vices, one on each side. It was a square table. And it was an interesting innovation because it allowed me to teach at a preschool for very low you know, investment. Mm-hmm. I basically just used space when they weren't there. Right. And it was not good enough. I had a, a kid, we were trying a project. We're using chisels, which we mm-hmm. don't use anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and you can imagine what happens. Yes, I can. And around that same time, I had about three insights. One was, I need a better way to hold wood so it's safer. Mm -hmm. Another insight was, it's really grueling to come up with new project plans every eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And the third one was, it's really grueling to also teach every class. And so around that time, I met a teacher from New York City who said, man, I love what you're doing out here. I wish I could do this in my classroom. And that's when all these insights gelled. And I I kept tinkering and I invented a workbench that would go on a table instead of being the table. Yeah. And that was the the real keystone to the whole thing, that with this portable workbench, it weighs about 12 pounds, two people are are facing each other, and it's effectively a large clamp that clamps onto the sides of a table, Mm -hmm. but has a lot of fun features in between. And it holds the wood safely. We also, uh, I standardized around hand tools, no power tools, mm-hmm. partially for that, that tactile feedback. I've learned a term since then called embodied cognition, the idea of, you know, your hands have intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a great teacher down in Arkansas, Doug Stowe, and he talks about the wisdom of the hands. And we talk about discovering the intelligence in children's hands. Wow. So our mission is to help all children develop life skills through woodworking. Yeah. And we achieve that mission by empowering schools, camps, and community organizations to teach woodworking. Yeah. So now we're really proud because we have a program that's safe, portable, and actually easy to implement because for the last six years, all we've done is think about how can we make this easier for a teacher? So we mapped out every yeah. single class. We mapped out the progression of projects. We've tied it to different standards yeah. so that it can be you know, accepted as curriculum. We uh, have a great relationship with the Carpenters Union 
So oh, for those oh, students yeah. who want to do more than just learn about practical things, there can be a career path. Those next steps are so important. Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're very purposefully that first exposure to discovering that intelligence in one's hands. And it can be early. It can be in elementary school. Oh, yeah. So even, you know, back in the day, shop programs were usually in middle school. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I took I took my woodshop class in, I think, seventh grade. So seventh grade. But at the same time, we, we see studies that show that kids are considering dropping out of school in sixth grade. Mm. And so the opportunity is how do we reach kids like that little second grader in the hallway mm. and help them realize they have value, that right. they matter and that it's OK if they can't sit still. Not everyone was made to sit still. Yeah. And yet there's an incredible labor shortage because the last 30 years as a society, we focused on no child left behind. We focused on everyone going to college mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong. I think, you know, critical thinking is an incredible skill, mm-hmm. but it turns out we can have it both ways. Yeah. We can have kids learning, staying in school because they feel there's a reason to go to school. We can answer the question of why do I need to know that? And it's, why do I need to know all this math? Oh, you put a ruler in your hand yeah. and you tell me what seven and three quarters plus eight and, and a half is. Yeah. And now you'll care about fractions because yep. oh. the box doesn't come together. I don't understand <laughs> your fractions. Yeah, exactly. Michael, I'm, I'm a math teacher myself. And I tell you what, I tell my students all the time, all these things that you're learning, all this math, it made it easier when I built my own house. It makes it easier when I'm working on a project at minimum kids. It makes it easier if you have to put together some Ikea furniture someday, you know, but, but we expect way more out of you. And, and uh, Mike, I just love that story. And educators, you, you heard Mike talking about that kind of clamp on the desk kind of workbench that turns any table into a, a workbench for kids to, to build with. If you go to maplewoodshop.com, scroll down, you're going to see pictures of it. You start clicking on the other things, you can find out more about it. And, and like you said, the resource, the curriculum and, and all those things are there. But man, you, you got me inspired because I'm, I'm thinking about those little kids. And if they start trying a project, if they start working with those hand tools, you know, there's there's something that that's missing when all we do is maybe just hand in an assignment. When you've created something and you hold it in your hands, I made this, I turned the screws, I put that together. That's that sense of accomplishment that um, sometimes our kids just are, are missing out on. Exactly. And, and a couple of thoughts here. One is that it would be interesting to do a poll that asks people to share what they made in shop class and if they still have it. <laughs> and I think we'll find that an incredibly large percentage of people both remember and have it, or their yeah. parents do. And, and then again, you know, you could also ask, well, tell me a paper you wrote that same year. And there's just going to be a lot of head scratching. Yeah. So there's something about that, that lasting memento of success that's so powerful. And, and, and the next thought is that, you know, especially with the younger kids, it can be very simple. You don't necessarily need to use our program. Yeah. We want kids to engage. So you can go to Harbor Freight, get some of those stubby hammers. You can get some scrap plywood to put on your tables to protect them. Right. You can get some safety glasses. Mm-hmm. And I think we even have a free video on YouTube about how to hold a hammer mm. and how to do it with young children so that it's safe, it's effective, and they don't have to smash their thumbs either. Yeah. So, and with that, we start getting all these, you know, whether it's STEM or whether it's just general life skills, right. building that confidence 
building and we're very purposeful about safety. Hmm. So behind me, there's a poster. I was going to ask you about that, Mike. It, right behind him, there's this uh, woodworking safety rules. And, yeah. and so many teachers, I mean, we're listening, tools, oh no, you know, and you keep saying safe and portable and making things easier, but Man, yeah, we gotta, so we got to keep the, the kids safe. How do we do that? We got to keep the kids safe. And now I, I can, in the beginning, people would ask, is it safe? And I wasn't so sure. <laughs> but now with uh, over 100 locations running and 90% of the people we train don't have a background in woodworking. Mm-hmm. So we really spoon feed the teacher. Our, our, our real value proposition is making adults comfortable to do things they didn't think they could do. Okay. And that's, that's really gratifying. Yeah. So they have the relationship with the children. They have the classroom management skills. We're simply adding an arrow to their quiver. And yeah. so the safety poster, you know, one talks about respecting tools, the others, and the wood shop. Hmm. Another says, be mindful of your environment. So, all, you know, we're just getting the kids to slow down. Another says, something will go wrong. How you deal with it is what matters. Yeah. So all about resiliency. And the fourth one, we're a community. Help hmm. others and ask for help. Yeah. And the nice thing there is, at least with our program, and you can, I bet a lot of your teachers are nodding their heads because they already do this, is, you know, who's going to be the table captain? Right. Who's going to be the, the kid who just happens to be better with their hands and also coincidentally may be the troublemaker because <laughs> unfortunately they've been trained to expect negative attention. And all of a sudden they're finishing their project earlier. And instead of horsing around, the teachers saying to them, Hey, that's great. Now go help your classmates and your teachers. We all know this. We're so think of us as children. We're so happy to get some positive attention Mm -hmm. and to be rewarded for having tactile abilities. We always, you know, just due to the amount of screens in our lives and COVID we've been so isolated that I think there's a very deep, deep human need to work together, mm-hmm. to struggle together, to achieve together. And in woodworking, for whatever reason, maybe it's the smell of the pine, maybe it's feel of the wood. Mm-hmm. That it's It definitely very, engages multiple senses. Yeah. yeah, It's all the senses and it creates these lasting uh, mementos of success. And, and we've heard anecdotally now from a couple schools that it provides a reason for kids to come to school. Mm. You know, so in, yeah. in both in wealthy districts and, and disadvantaged districts, we've heard the same story. Kids are like, is it woodworking day? And so, you know, whatever gets them in their chairs, whatever that carrot is, and if the carrot itself can render benefits, we think it's just great. So whether you're doing it a DIY approach or whether you want to use a program that has everything thought out, it's very powerful. And again, yeah. Doug Stowe has a nice book on uh, woodworking with children. He's been doing this for decades and decades in Arkansas mm-hmm. and uh, highly recommend that book as well as there's a book called By Hound and I, and it's by uh, George Walker and Jim Tolpin, who are brilliant woodworkers, brilliant thinkers, and they retrofitted a book for adults to children. It's like a graphic okay. novel. Cool. And, and Chris, you're going to love this part. It's all about math. <laughs> well, And they have an, another one called From Truth to Tools, where they explain where tools came from using geometric principles. That's awesome. So teachers, if you're hearing those book titles, you're like, ah, I got to go back and rewind it. What were those and write them down? Uh, don't worry. They're in the show notes. We've got those for you. And you can click on those links and, and find out more about those. 
Uh, Michael, you, as, as you're talking about some of those memories that, that you have, I had the privilege of uh, living near my grandparents when I was when I was a kid. And I can remember going over to their house. And, and if one of my grandparents was working on something, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping right in and helping, whether it's, you know, a, a little project, maybe it's helping cook dinner, things like that. But I can also remember my grandma or my grandpa handing me a board and a pile of nails and a hammer and saying, all right, see how many of these you can nail in there. Yep. You know, I mean, and and those those memories, they last. And, and sometimes... Uh, some of those things where you give a kid a skill, something that they could do maybe with a with a relative, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, and and things like that. And what a what a tremendous way to build some of that community as well. And and I know we haven't talked a lot about this. I, I mean, I know you got tons of great projects and and things and resources on your website, but I mean, some teachers are probably thinking, you know, what kind of project can I actually do? Like you build something, it could take days, it could take weeks. How do you, how do you come up with a, a, a simple project that maybe you can do in your normal classroom? Yeah. So, I mean, our process is we have our set of tools, which is pretty mm-hmm. extensive in mm-hmm. the sense that you can do anything from a simple hammer, nail and rainbow loom project that takes 20 minutes all yep. the way up to building furniture, all the way to building projects that the Carpenters Union created to train their apprentices. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, we're very pleased that it's a great platform. It can uh, adapt. So a huge range. And it's really only bounded by the amount of time one wants to dedicate. And so whether it's uh, an hour once a week, or whether it's, we have some schools that do it an hour a day, mm. you know, in terms of access, you know, Chris, you, you and I both, you know, we have the privilege of having adults in our lives who had some of these skills that could mm-hmm. teach us. Yeah. And that's not, true anymore. Right. And it's not. a lot of kids who, you know, whether they are living away from their, those elders or whether they just don't have access, mm. it can provide access to opportunity for careers as well. So we're very uh, pleased that it, it, it's, you know, widely available. Gender doesn't matter, race, creed, nothing matters. What matters is just trying, striving, and ultimately succeeding. Yeah. And you know, whether it's neurotypical kids or neuroatypical kids, about 15% of our programs are being run for kids with special needs. Great. Yeah. And so even if a kid is in a, in a wheelchair, because the workbench is at table height, yeah, whatever table height is, is where they work. So that's, that's been very gratifying as well. Yeah. And, and again, uh, Michael Schlaff, so, uh, so exciting to hear about these things and, and really just to get inspired to say, how do we, how do we add some more of these things? And if we aren't already doing uh, some of these types of woodworking skills, just those, those fine motor skills, those hand tools, um, things like that in our schools, there are ways to make it possible, even if you don't have the resources of huge equipment, I mean, a lathe and big table saws and, and vacuums to get all that dust out of there. There's ways you could do those things, educators. It's not limited by by the space and the resource you have. Um, and, and I'm just thinking of some of these things you have on the website, these these words. I, I love these words you've got in there that it teaches those lifelong uh, skills of, of problem solving and grit and creativity. And, uh, and again, every STEM educator listening, every educator listening is thinking, those are the things that I want to help build into my kids, just as much as the math, the science, the reading, the, the literacy, all those other things. And, and right, and they can go together. I'll just add one more great resource. Uh, yeah. There's another wonderful teacher, uh, person's name is Joe Ucha, Y-O-U-C-H-A, and he has an organization called Building to Teach. And he basically invented a program that uses boat building oh. as a mechanism to teach math. Yeah. And he was able to improve standardized test scores by, I think, 30% consistently. 
it's such a this idea of kinetic you know hands-on minds-on yeah. learning is such a powerful concept and to the listeners everyone's we're all well-meaning we're all trying our best and yet we're also part of the system that still is about the worksheets and passing the test mm-hmm. and our districts are graded on those things and and I do believe that a lot of our administrators want to hear from us, want to hear of new ways they can engage those kids who are not being engaged. Yeah. And and especially after COVID, it's it's an opportunity, if you will, to rethink a lot of the assumptions that we have. And and looking forward, the jobs that will exist in 2050 are hard to imagine now. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But there no longer is there this divide between vocational versus college. There's more and more uh, junior colleges, community colleges, and even some four-year colleges that are combining construction management with uh, vocational training. And so it it can be an and argument instead of an or argument. The the best engineers are the ones that don't just understand it on a screen and in a textbook. They understand it because they've held it in their hands. Um, right. If you try to do one without the other, it's just not not good enough. And we don't want to, as educators, just create kids that are that are basically can be replaced by Google. We want kids that could be creative, and and those are the types of jobs that are always going to be there. Those jobs that that involve creativity and problem solving, and and, and grit. So, um, yeah. Mike, Michael, it's been uh, so fascinating talking with you, and and I just love the idea. I I feel like we could all probably now just start running our minds uh, as educators, thinking how could I get this to happen? How do I get this to start happening? How do I reach out to the people in in my school, in my community? people that have some of those skills that could come in and, and be those guest speakers. So many great resources on your website, maplewoodshop.com. I just really appreciate it, Michael. And, and any other last thoughts, any, any other last advice for, for the educators out there? Thanks, Chris. Yeah. In terms of parting thoughts for the educators, I encourage you, I, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and there's organizations like, like ours, like others, teacher networks, where you can you can do this. Yeah. So let's let's all figure it out together and help our kids be future proof yeah. and resilient and and satisfied. That's awesome. And and again, all those great books that Michael mentioned, uh, you can find all those in the show notes as well. Grab one of those books, find out more information. And again, head to maplewoodshop.com educators and, and find out more, especially check out that that clamp on table. It is incredible. You'll you'll be uh, you'll be amazed uh, looking at that. So I uh, really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we're, we're happy to help you. Good luck and, uh, and enjoy building. Yeah. And again, thanks for listening to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave a review. It helps more educators find out about the show. And uh, if you need to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. Always happy to help as well. And until then, educators, just keep on doing the great work that you're doing with kids each and every day. Every kid in every classroom, every day deserves that opportunity to get excited about their learning again.